Exodus 20, verse 17, we learn that you can read the 10th commandment, which is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And the church confesses what this commandment requires of us and what that looks like in Lord's Day 44 of the Heidelberg Catechism, the Book of Praise on page 558, if you'd like to read along. What does the Tenth Commandment require of us? That not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commandments should ever arise in our heart. Rather, with all our heart, we should always hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. But can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? No. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with earnest purpose, they do begin to live, not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God. If in this life no one can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God have them preached so strictly? First, so that throughout our life we may more and more become aware of our sinful nature and therefore seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach the goal of perfection. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the first chapters of Genesis make it clear that the Lord our God is the Creator who made everything in heaven above, on the earth beneath, and in the water under the earth. And He made it all to glorify Him. The kingdom life that God prepared for us can be described using the gospel that is preached in the first nine commandments. And you can pay attention. You'll notice that in a statement, we join all the themes of the sermons from the, the first uh, commandment all the way to the ninth. And we have a description of the kingdom life, what it is like in the kingdom of God, what God has prepared for us. In this kingdom, there is... Only one true God, that's the first commandment, who can be known through his word, worshipped through his name, and in this kingdom there is a day of rest for every six days of work. And we all live together as a family under the leadership of our sovereign king who leads us in wisdom. We live to love one another because the breath of the Almighty gives us love. And in his kingdom, the Lord instituted holy marriage of one man and one woman to equip us to each, uh, fulfill each other, or to help each other fulfill our mandate. And he gives us the material gifts that we need to worship him, as well as the ability to communicate with each other 
in order to strengthen our bonds to one another. Our sovereign, glorious Lord and King has been exceedingly gracious and generous in His overflowing kindness and His grace, not just to all of us together, but to each one of us individually. And those who fully embrace His grace and spend all their time in their lives celebrating His amazing holiness, His justice, His mercy, His wisdom, yes, this kingdom life, those are the people who will also be completely content. And since this contentment is ruined, the moment that we become envious of anything that God has not prepared for us, because envy causes us to love less, God warns us, don't covet. The Tenth Commandment assures us that we do not need anything that exists outside of God's kingdom, outside of His will for our lives. And I preach to you this gospel under the theme, Tenth Commandment, and God's, it reveals that in God's kingdom we have every good thing that has been made. And so the Lord wants His children to trust Him. Our Lord Jesus Christ trusted in God for us and in our place. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit helps us to trust in God for everything. And so we think of the, the perfection of the kingdom of God, and maybe the verse already comes to your mind in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It's the basis of the 10th commandment. Since the Lord also called Adam and Eve to develop his creation, we know that it wasn't all good in the sense that it was a finished project, like a, an, a piece of art that's completely done. You can't add or take away. That's what it's supposed to be. But it was good because his children had everything they needed to get to work. And so it's like an art room that has all the supplies and everything ready to be developed, to, to develop art. And we're going to use an analogy this afternoon to, to a hot air balloon. It was like a hot air balloon that's all prepared for flight. The balloon part is in perfect shape. The flame-throwing burner that, that blows the heat into the, the balloon to, to make it go up, it's brand new, it's perfect, everything works just right. The basket is, is all ready, and even the person called to operate it, the pilot, has perfect knowledge and an eager desire to obey the call to use the balloon, the hot air balloon, for the purpose that it had been made. When God said that creation was good, he was saying that his children had everything they need to fill the earth and develop it so that all that God had hidden in creation could be uncovered and developed and presented to God to glorify him. And so God wanted his children to trust him by being eager to fulfill their mission and by being content with the excellent tools that he gave to us to use. Not just as a whole, but again individually as well. In order for the 
hot air balloons to successfully fulfill their missions in cooperation with one another. Every pilot needs to have the same desire, the same ambition to do the work, to make that hot air balloon go up into the air. And then each pilot also needs to be content with their own balloon and their own place in the lineup of the overall plan. God wants the subjects of his kingdom to cooperate together with ambition and contentment. Ambition to do the work, not to be lazy, not to be satisfied with disobedience or, or a job that's not well done, but ambition to do the work well, and contentment to do it in the way that God ordained it, without coveting the lives of others. Now, for many of us, this is a very tricky pair of qualities to combine in our lives, ambition and contentment. And, and we learn that it is only possible when we completely dedicate ourselves to God's kingdom and trust completely in God's wisdom, in God's word. You see, the minute that we pay attention to the devil's suggestions that maybe that balloon can't hold our weight, or maybe God actually gave me a, a faulty basket, or maybe it doesn't make that much sense to do what he's called us to do. The, the minute those suggestions come, our trust in God's goodness begins to waver. When we stop trusting in God, we lose both our ambition to obey and our contentment with God's way of doing things. When a person stops believing in the goodness of the kingdom of God, then he or she will either reject God's mandate, that mission that he, he gave to us. It would be like a, a balloon pilot, who, a hot air balloon pilot, who, who says that I'm not going to go fly. I don't want to do that. He's not committed to the project. Or we will disobey God's instructions for his kingdom by committing sins that ruin his blessing. You could compare that to maybe a hot air uh, balloon pilot who, who decides to tie his basket down to the ground with some ropes. He's going to anchor it. I'm not going up. And he commits sins that actually work against the plan of God. Well, God wants his children to commit themselves fully to his kingdom. And he showed this by giving his children an opportunity to opt out of life in the kingdom. He gave them the opportunity to live in his kingdom and all the blessings or to choose death and, and certain punishment. He said, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. That's Genesis 2 verse 9. There God planted in the garden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right in the middle of the garden. And this tree was a part of the goodness of creation because it gave God's children an opportunity to covet independence from God, and so they were also able to manifest 
that their obedience to God's commandments was something they truly desired, something they wanted to do. The tree, knowledge of good and evil, made it clear, gave an opportunity to God's children to show that they wanted to obey him. And in the 10th commandment, the Lord shows us that he wants us to be eager to seek first the kingdom of God and its development, ambition, and to be content with your place in his kingdom because you truly love God. You truly trust in his goodness. And this desire of the Lord does not change when sin entered into the world. Only now, God also wants his children to fight against sin, to fight against the devil and the doubts that he seeds and everything else that attacks God's kingdom, ruins it for his children. The Tenth Commandment urges us to, to cut the, the sins, to cut the ropes of the sins that anchor us to the kingdom of darkness and suffering. Rather than covet other gods and, and false man-centered worship, the Lord wants his children to set themselves free from their sinful nature's tendency to seek satisfaction in violence and adultery and stealing and lies. Those are the commandments again. You see them. The Lord says, cut yourself free from those sins and commit yourselves to me. And he will lift us up. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ showed this perfect trust in all his life. And he trusted God for us and in our place. That's the, the gospel that we believe. Jesus' whole life on earth was a display of his trust in the reality of the kingdom of God. It was a display of his firm faith that God's children needed to be a part of this kingdom. When we study his obedience to all the commandments of God, we can see that our Lord Jesus was fully committed. And then again, we can think of all the, the second points of the sermons on, on the first to the ninth commandment. He took on human flesh in exact fulfillment of the scriptures. He was Emmanuel, God with us. He was our mediator who offered up perfect prayer to God. That's the third commandment. And he obtained eternal rest for all the sheep whom God had chosen and given into his hand. And then after humbling himself to the one true God as the source of all authority on earth, he obeyed his Father and took his seat on the eternal throne as, as eternal king. We're seeing the fifth commandment here. And he sealed his love by giving his own life to grant eternal life to all who believe in him, the sixth commandment. And he became the perfect bridegroom who perfects and presents the church to the Father in heaven as a pure and white bride. And he rejected earthly riches and obtained our inheritance in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, preaching the truth, that's the ninth commandment of God's kingdom, by fulfilling every promise that God had spoken. 
Jesus Christ was committed to the kingdom of God. And when we repent of our sin, of ever beginning to desire anything different than all that God has already given, that Christ has restored to us, then we can be comforted to know that not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commandments ever arose in our Lord Jesus' heart. Many of Jesus' parables revealed his faith in the kingdom of heaven and his understanding that outside of the kingdom there is, he says that there's only weeping and this ongoing gnashing of teeth. That's a, a gnashing in rebellion against God. He prepared God's people for life in God's kingdom by repeating the laws that would define the lives of the eternal king's subjects. He showed his faith in the promise of God's kingdom by teaching that a, a person should cut off anything here on the earth that would prevent them from entering the kingdom of heaven, whether it be our eyes or our hands, our family, our possessions, or even our fear of death. And then he gave his own life for the kingdom. When we repent of the sin of belittling God's kingdom by being unwilling to make his kingdom more important than our own personal comforts, when we acknowledge to the Lord that we have been hesitant to commit to God's kingdom and we, we keep on holding on to those few sins that are like anchor ropes holding us down to this earth where we feel safer. When we confess that we don't even want to begin to hate these sins because we're actually afraid to trust in God, then we can hear the gospel. Our Lord Jesus Christ has cut these ropes sins for us in our place. He did not anchor himself to the false security of being accepted by the fallen world, for he obeyed the 10th commandment perfectly. And brothers and sisters, the gospel is the, the minute we let go and, and we push the, the severed rope of broken sin off the edge of the, the hot air balloon basket, we can feel the arms of our Lord Jesus Christ holding us up, keeping us close, keeping us safe. Brothers and sisters, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're, we're called, we're led by the Spirit then to, to cut off this dependence on our own works that just tie us down to a, a futile life. And rest in his gracious arms. You see, his righteousness is our righteousness. His perfection is our perfection. And he will lift you up. He trusted in God for us and in our place. 
And so he secured a place for us in, in the eternal kingdom of God. He, that's where we are now in Christ. You can look at the Gospels. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he confessed his trust in God by receiving the cup of wrath because it was his Father's will. The cup of wrath that was filled with the punishment that, that we deserved. Even on the cross, burdened down with the sins of, of mankind that he himself hated. Our Lord Jesus committed his spirit into the hands of his Father who was punishing him with the burden of his eternal wrath because our Lord Jesus knew he could save. And so when we repent of the sin of coveting the life of the enemies of God's kingdom, we can know that our Lord Jesus hated all sin with all his heart and delighted in all righteousness for us and in our place. We can know that we have a Savior who gave his life for the kingdom in order to set us who believe in him back on track to a relationship with the Lord in which we trust in him and receive again everything that we need. If we use the analogy once again. We could say that when we, after we had destroyed our own hot air balloons, because we, we tried to, to modify the, the little flamethrower burner, we took it apart, because we tied our baskets to the earth, because we were so afraid and we wanted to, to do things ourselves, and, and then they, everything broke because of the, the tension being caught between two worlds. And then we disconnected the balloon because we, 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 we were scared to, to go up. In that moment, the Lord Jesus fulfilled all righteousness for us. And he placed us in his perfect salvation, to use the analogy, to the perfect hot air balloon, so that we could trust in the benefits of his work. The gospel is that in the forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we are able to see the fullness of the kingdom of God restored. And now the Holy Spirit guides us to walk in dependence on him so that we too may more and more experience the blessings of renewal. He helps us to trust in God for everything. In Christ we are back on track. He says in John 5 verse 24 that whoever believes in him has crossed over from death to life. To use that analogy, we have a, we have a place in the, in the basket of the hot air balloon that is gently carrying us again through the riches of the kingdom of God that he prepared for his children. In Christ, the, the ropes have been cut and there is nothing left to do to get the balloon that we are sitting in up into the air. The only thing that is left is to be who you are in your new calling. Paul says that to live out of your calling in your restored life. What a marvelous place to be. And already now in our lives we can see how the Holy Spirit has enriched our lives with this godly ambition, this peaceful contentment, 
so that we want to, we seek to walk in his kingdom. We seek to embrace that transformation and restoration of our lives. And then we think again of all those nine commandments that we heard already, how the Holy Spirit changes our hearts. He, he gives us the desire to only walk with the one true God. That's the first commandment. In the beauty of his revelation, to the glory of his name, he allows us already today to experience a, a day of rest, to prepare ourselves for the eternal rest, to submit ourselves to our leaders that God has placed over us, to live each day in, in love with one another, in the fellowship, also in fellowship with those of the opposite sex. He helps us to discern which material gifts are the ones that God has given to us, and he allows us to speak in a way that strengthens the bonds. And so we see the kingdom of God already here in our midst by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, we confess, gives everyone an earnest purpose to begin to live, not only according to some, but to all God's commandments. You see, he helps us to trust in God by all we do, first by giving us the desire to trust in God with all our hearts. The promise of the gospel is real, it's true for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ because they truly want to be part of his kingdom. That desire to be lifted up by Jesus Christ, that is the, the work of the Holy Spirit. That is what defines the believers in God's church. Contentment and godly ambition are fruit of the Holy Spirit that give evidence of a sincere trust in the Lord. And so the Ten Commandments continue to be preached so strictly even in the kingdom of God, so that we remember to remain in Christ, to continue to trust in him completely. Through them, the, the Holy Spirit shows all of us who want to walk with the Lord in Jesus Christ that we haven't yet reached the goal of perfection, that perfect zeal and faith that we so eagerly desire. It shows us the glory of, of Jesus Christ and his grace. You see, though we, we really want to be useful subjects in the kingdom of God, we always find this conflict within ourselves, with our sinful nature. To use the analogy, although we truly want to remain in this hot air balloon that, that, the, that we have that's going up, we often feel tempted to jump out of the basket or, or maybe to, to throw a rope down and tie ourselves back to something on the ground below that, that we see other people holding on to. And then Ten Commandments come, and they help us to remember what we have in Christ. And so the Ten Commandments are never preached to us as the way into the kingdom, but they are preached to us once we are in the kingdom of God. That's very important to understand so that the mention of our sins doesn't 
crush us and, and drive us away from God, but rather that they, it leads us to Jesus Christ. And so how do you think about your sins? It's not from the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not the Holy Spirit who makes people talk about sins as something positive that we are proud of, kind of badges of honor, reasons for laughter at weddings and around campfires as if our sins make us cool. How could a person's rejection of the kingdom of God and his righteousness be funny? Why would anyone be proud that they are or were refusing to cut the anchor ropes that were tying them to the meaningless life of vanity and futility apart from God? And that's one side. At the same time, the Holy Spirit also does not want us to talk about our sins as if they have the supreme power that they are capable of holding a believer down in the grips of death and Satan. How could the sins that Christ Jesus has paid for with his own precious blood, how could those sins continue to stand against us and condemn us? What is the use of giving this undue honor and glory to the inferior power of the created fallen angel, the devil? No, when we are in Christ Jesus, his victory and his name alone ought to be praised and glorified. So how can our confession of all the ugly things that we have done, our, our wicked thoughts and our embarrassing desires that we don't really enjoy thinking about and we never want to talk about, how can this confession give glory to the name of our Lord. Brothers and sisters, when our empty hands drive us to God's mercy and we arrive at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ in, in all our weakness and fully aware of our weakness, we will see that God's grace is always greater than our sins. The magnitude of Christ's work is only fully understood in our own lives when we see every one of those confessed and hated sins nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ, paid for. Paul says in Romans 5, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And again in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, after quoting the Lord's promise that his power is made perfect in weakness, Paul concludes with the church of all time, saying, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so the confession of our sins is like, is like a person in, in that hot air balloon, that, the, the new one that's taking him up in, in Christ. He's walking around that, that balloon and, he, and he's pointing at all those, those cut ropes 
around and, he, and he's looking at them and, and he's saying, look at what Christ did in my life. Look what he, he took out. Look what he delivered me from. I deserve so much punishment. I deserve to be down there in that broken balloon. See the depths of the mercy of the grace of God to me. And then after seeing that, seeing what was left behind, then we point to that the perfect balloon that he is in. And the person sees the, the perfect heat generator, the perfect basket, the perfect cords, the, the, the perfectness, the perfection of Jesus Christ. What a joy it is to be able to hide in the righteousness of Christ, to have his righteousness envelop us like clothes, to see what God meant when he said that everything was very good. And even as we confess our sins, we can say with Paul, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how content we can be in the work of Jesus Christ and how this contentment, it fills our hearts with ambition, not coveting what others have, but ambition to embrace every good thing that God has made for us and he has made many, many good things for us. And the gospel of God's grace leads us to pray for the grace of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we confess, that we may reflect the power of Jesus Christ in our lives and we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life, and we know it, we shall reach the goal of perfection. Amen.